Hello, and welcome to Knoll Country for Old Men. We're a podcast about board games, tabletop role-playing games, and tabletop war games. I'm the host, my name's Troy, pronouns he, him, and with me today... And my name's Ed, my pronouns are they and them. Uh, I don't have a joke for this week. That's because you're a wizard, Ed. You're a wizard, Larry. That's about as far as I could get with that. Yeah, we're talking about wizards today. The original magic users of Dungeons and Dragons. To be honest, there was so much content in this chapter, I skipped over most of it and only read the expanded stuff from the other Splat books. Yeah, there's a lot of content. There's a lot of wizards. Wizards have a lot of options and a lot of things that they do. At the same time, that means they are complicated. And if it's your first time playing Dungeons and Dragons and you're trying to make a magic user, maybe pick a sorcerer or a warlock. Those are good options. Wizards are going to trip you up. But before we really get into what a wizard is and what they do, and why a wizard is, and where they do, we have a segment on this podcast called The Week in Hobby. So Ed, what have you done in the last like week and a half since we recorded an episode? Yay, tabletop games. Uh, kept going with some more D&D. Uh, we're finally getting into the stretch where there's actually some plot momentum for Rime of the Frostmaiden. For honestly the first five levels of character development, it really is just playing Skyrim where you get random quests and get told to go to different places on the map and shenanigans happen. So now there's actual plot starting to develop, which is kind of nice, but I feel like I've been off as a DM for the last several weeks. So just been kind of meh in terms of my storytelling and improbability, but that's just the way it goes. Sometimes I finished reading the rules for Morkborg to get all that heavy metal action going. Seems pretty good. The only criticism I had was that the layout can kind of make referencing things difficult just because they have a very arty layout that goes with their heavy metal style. It'll probably be good for like short, like one or two session games. I think that's about how long you can probably draw that gimmick out, especially since, you know, characters can have like one HP or the game can just and randomly end because the world ends, which is like the main gimmick of the game is that the world is ending and you're either trying to accelerate it or stop it, depending on how you feel about that particular state of affairs. Uh, what else? I started back reading uh, Song of Ice and Fire. So after about four years, I finally broke out the Song of Ice and Fire starter set that I got on Kickstarter and I've been playing that. And uh, it feels like a worthy successor to the Warhammer fantasy games we played in middle school and high school takes out just about everything that I hate about the original Warhammer fantasy and improves it in some way. So that one uh, might be a good one to play later on when in-person gaming resumes. I had a couple of coworkers at my old job who were big Game of Thrones fans and at least one of them bought into it, but we just never got around to actually playing the game, which was unfortunate. Yeah. Yeah, it's been... I feel like there's been a lot of stuff game-wise going on, but I can't can't recall everything off the top of my head, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, so I had some RPG sessions. Uh, Eberron campaign. The group fought... Uh, one group fought a wyvern. 
they were on a boat. It attacked them. It the, they killed it. It fell into the water, and somebody dove in because they wanted to get the venom from its tail because that's worth a lot of money. I see this going badly. Oh yes, the person who dove in was the paladin and was wearing heavy armor. <laughs> Pulled a uh, Barbarossa, didn't he? He did not die, but he immediately started floundering, and the party had to like work together to get him a rope and like drag him out with every other member of the party up on the ship, working together to ha- haul him out because he's the only one who has anything at all in his strength score. <sighs> nice job. Meanwhile, the wyvern carcass like floated off down the river, and they couldn't get it. Whoops. They probably could have pulled it off if any of the other characters had jumped in with a rope attached and, like, swam over there. But uh, it it just happened to be the wrong guy. And then they went to town and started discussing plans and, for whatever reason, decided to go looking for the sketchiest tavern in town. As one does. Well, they had a reason for it. It was sort of a weird reason. But hilariously, my plans had involved them getting sent to this extra sketchy tavern later in order to meet up with the monk's former master, like, who trained him, who is investigating reports of a slave ring at this specific super sketchy tavern. So they just went there themselves. And the monk's master was there, and they, like, he told them what was up, and they came back later that night, and started beating the crap out of the guards and uh, all the various stuff. As one does with slave owners. Yes, that is the correct option. <laughs> I mean, slavery is, as far as I'm aware, illegal in most of Eberron, so this is not a legal thing. They are taking these people and, like, shipping them off to mines in the middle of nowhere. They call it a mine. They call it the tomb for those slavers. So yeah, that's going to feature into some of the plot stuff going forward. The other group entered into the Mornlands. Ooh. Which I treated as being sort of stalkerish. Initially, they entered into the fog and like blundered around for six hours and then came back out in the exact spot that they had entered. <clears throat> but then upon going back, upon like forcing their way through, they traveled around for a bit. They fought a living cloud kill spell. Fun. They mostly just sort of attacked it from a distance, and then it got close enough to the Barbarian and put some serious hurt on him. And then, defeating that, they spent a weird night in the Wastelands, and then went to a, like, dark ruin area where there was some stuff that they were hoping to, like, retrieve, and found that it was already in the possession of a bunch of Warforged. Oops. Uh, so the Warforged, remember, the party went down there to negotiate, and because what they were looking for, what they had been hired to recover, were some bottles of wine, he was able to convince the Warforged to, like, give him the bottles of wine, because they weren't going to drink it. At which point, they were about to leave, and one of the party members was like, hey, so, we're only getting paid, like, 150 gold each to retrieve these? Half of the payment was that we could take anything else we found at the warehouse. So the stuff you gave those Warforged is worth more than what we're getting paid for this mission. (laughs) Which caused the Warforged player to be like, what? Damn it! 
And the party then decided that they were going to launch an attack on the Warforged and try and take them out and find all the other useful goodies that were in the warehouse. But they need that wine to power the, their fuel cells. Uh, they are not Futurama-style robots. You should make a Warforged that its its whole purpose during the war was just bending metal. Be like a blacksmith bender Warforged. Yeah, I... I totally would play that at some point. Uh, my cyberpunk campaign in The Sprawl, we were playing the game on the 1st of April, which is somewhat telling. So they they did Airbud. <laughs> a local sports team had hired a genetically engineered dog as part of the team, and one of the corporate sponsors was upset with this, and so hired the team to remove the dog from hired the crew of like mercenaries to get rid of the dog so that they could you know regain control over the team because there's no rule that a genetically engineered dog can't play soccer well i would i would say as somebody who watches puppy bowl instead of the super bowl i would definitely pay money to watch animals play sports yeah well against uh, humans though depends on the animal in any case, they infiltrated the training facility. They helped, like, amp up a riot outside and uh, tranquilized the dog, made off with it, took it to a like, exotic animal zoo up in the mountains, and then came back to town and whiffed the role on getting paid. So they found their, like, the guy who had hired him's house had burned down and... He was utterly unreachable, and the word was that he had been stealing from the employers and had, like, fled the town. So they didn't get paid for this pretty pretty entertaining job that they had just done. Womp womp. But, you know, that's cyberpunk dystopias for you. Sometimes you eat the dog, and sometimes the dog is a genetically engineered soccer player. Good times. In any case... Wizards. Wizards are the original magic users of Dungeons and Dragons. And I call them magic users because, well, that, that's what they were called for the first couple of editions. Since the inception of Dungeons and Dragons, wizards have been casters of arcane magic, who are usually bad at melee combat and things other that aren't casting magic. Wizards are a core component of what makes Dungeons and Dragons, well, Dungeons and Dragons. The ability to cast magic makes it a fantasy game. If you don't have that, you're playing a historical role-playing game, and you're probably all going to die of the plague. That's how most of those run. And wizards, or magic use, arcane magic users that act as what we would think of as wizards today, have been around in every version of the game. But where do wizards come from? Well... Wizards are obviously inspired by the various magicians, witches, wizards, etc. from mythology and fantasy novels. Merlin, Gandalf, Circe, and so on and so forth. One of the major sources and like influences of Wizards in Dungeons and Dragons that's kind of overlooked sometimes is the Dying Earth fantasy novels by Jack Vance. I think we've mentioned him before. Uh, I'm pretty sure. It sounds familiar. Yeah, see... They drew a lot of the core mechanical gameplay from these books, because in them, magicians must memorize their spells, 
and can only cast a specific number of them per day. This is basically the core of the D&D magic system, where you have are limited to numbers of spells per day, and you only know a certain amount. And it's why the Dungeons & Dragons magic system is called Vancian, or Vanakin, or however you want to pronounce that. It's named after the author. I'd be a terrible wizard. I can barely remember what's on my character sheets most of the time. Yeah, I think you're probably more of a bard, or... I don't know. Uh, we'll do a whole episode on like different types of magic and art role-playing game systems at some point. But just know that wizards are fancy and magic users based on this specific book series for like where the mechanic came from. So in the earliest editions, before first was even a thing, magic user was one of the original core classes, along with the fighting man and the cleric. The magic user was named that specifically to avoid cultural connotations that might have stemmed from words like warlock or magician. They wanted it to be generic and broad, same as the reason they called it the fighting man and not like the knight or the samurai. Magic users got the ability to cast spells. That That's essentially it, is that they could cast spells. What if you had like a wizard that was also really into bodybuilding in their spare time and they couldn't fight because they hadn't studied like any martial arts, but they were just absolutely ripped in addition to casting spells. Well, remember that arcane casters couldn't use armor for most editions up till very recently. I mean, you get, you get those pecs rock hard enough. They're just going to turn blows on their own. Yeah, that's not how that's going to work. And now... To be fair, there are certain spells that make wizards really good at combat when they cast them. Uh, Tensor's Transformation basically is something that a wizard, a high-level wizard, I think it's 7th level spell, can cast to turn themselves into the Raging Barbarian where they're suddenly really good with combat. <laughs> it's a classic thing where like a high-level wizard can just be like, I'm the fighter now! Ha-ha! <laughs> Look at me. I'm the fighter now. Yes. So in 1st edition, the magic user was one of the five standard classes and could cast arcane spells. They didn't get armor, they weren't good with weapons, did not have a lot of hit points. But they did have a cool subclass called the Illusionist, which had some specialty spells and gave them a little more flexibility in what they could do. Magic users were also the only class allowed to cast spells of 8th and ninth level. Side rant here. Dungeons and Dragons really needs to come up with a better term for spells, for like the tiers of spells than level. Because it is confusing to new players to be like, I'm a fifth level wizard. That means I can cast third level spells. What? Why, why don't I get second level spells at second level? Because we said so, that's why. I mean, all you have to do is call them like spell tiers or spell ranks or spell circles or something. Wizards of the Coast, break open a thesaurus, find a new word that, you know, works for with level, and use that for your spells, and everyone will be happier, and the game will be easier to get into. I wish I had a joke to go there, but honestly, I got nothing. Yeah, that's a first level joke. Burned! By second edition, the class was called Mage, and was part of the Wizard group, which was all the arcane spellcasters. This is essentially when everyone just started calling it wizard. The spell list was adjusted. A variety of subtypes of wizard focusing on various schools of magic were added. 
so it wasn't just illusionists all the time. Uh, specialists got bonuses when casting spells from their school of magic, but also couldn't cast spells from certain opposed schools. Uh, we'll talk a little more about what the schools of magic are when we get to the 5th edition wizards and the arcane traditions that they know. In 3rd edition, the class name had been moved to wizard completely. At the same time, the game was now being published by Wizards of the Coast. Coincidence? I think not. Third edition wizards were pretty simple mechanically. They were able to cast spells. They could pick specializations in specific schools of magic. Their, the way they cast spells has remained the same pretty much all the way through. They have to have a spell book of the spells they know. They have to memorize those spells and pick out specifically which ones they're going to have available to them at the start of each day. And then they can only cast a certain number of each level of those spells. Third edition is also when the Sorcerer was introduced, which was similar but had a much easier time where it could cast any of the spells it needed. It didn't need to memorize them. It didn't need to write them down in a spell book or anything. So that's sort of where arcane magic becomes less of a special wizard thing. I think I only ever played one wizard in third edition, and honestly, I don't remember much about it. The wizards in third edition and wizards in fifth edition are very similar. Fourth edition wizards were arcane controllers that focused on multi-target damage spells. The various schools of magic were initially absent from the game, but were added later via supplemental material. Welcome to 4th edition corner. 4th edition. 5th edition wizards get an arcane tradition, which is essentially the school of magic from previous ones, although in this case, the arcane traditions do not prevent you from casting spells of other schools. They're just like what you're specialized in. And there are a couple of spe arcane traditions that are not the schools of magic because, well, they needed material for the other books. Um, wizards get the most spell slots, can cast more than more spells than almost any other class. They do learn spells and prepare them slightly differently. Like I mentioned, they have a spell book, which contains all the spells they know, and each level you learn two new ones. However, you can also find other wizards' spell books and, like, copy spells out of them, or scrolls, or that sort of thing. So wizards have an ability to learn spells faster than a lot of other classes. Excuse me, you didn't cite your work. Uh, I'm going to have to give you a zero for plagiarism on this spell. I cast Fireball. Where's the citation? You give me a lot of lip for someone within fireball, fireball range. Yep. To cast a spell, you have to have it prepared. Unlike other classes, you can't just cast any spell you know... You have to, like, come up with a list of these are the spells I have prepared this day, each day that you're, like, traveling. So wizards have a lot more breadth in, like, spells they can learn. Their list is the most comprehensive of anyone, but it requires a little more foresight in what you're going to do that day. If you're just going to be around a city, you probably don't need spells that are really good for combat. And if you're in a dungeon, you probably don't need spells that allow you to travel great distances or that alter, like, outdoors elements and stuff. In retrospect, bringing Fireball to the Plane of Fire was a bad idea. I mean, I 
guess it helps you show off to the locals. Yeah, that's true. But yeah, maybe maybe pick like lightning bolts if you want to fight any of them. And of course, the arcane traditions. There's a bunch of them. We're going to start and just go through go through them one at a time. The first one is abjuration. It's a school of magic focused on blocking, banishing, protecting, stuff like that. It allows you to create magical wards when you cast a spell that, you know, protect the wizard by absorbing damage. Yeah, if you pick abjuration, your abjuration spells are stronger. You get spell resistance eventually, which gives you advantage on saving throws against spells and resistance to damage caused by them. Woo! Abjuration is probably the real, like, super protective wizard. Conjuration wizards. They specialize in conjuring things. It's summoning magic. You can conjure up small items that glow with magical light. At higher levels, you can conjure yourself and teleport small distances once per day. Eventually, you don't need to make concentration checks on conjuration spells, which is nice, because that means your summoned creatures don't disappear when you get hit hard. And eventually, your summoned creatures get extra temporary hit points to keep them around longer. Divination wizards. Uh, divination, you understand the past, the present, and future. I'm just the puppet who can see the strings. Yeah, I guess. Divination wizards get a feature called the portent, which allows you to roll two dice at the end of a long rest, and then write those numbers down, and you can substitute them for the results of any other die done over the course of the next day. Like, anyone you can see, whether that be an ally or an enemy. Nice. The thing is, you must choose to do so before they make the roll. You have to say, I cast a spell on them, and I'm also going to use my portent to make their saving throw be a two. Which is really cool and powerful, but I've had issues with players who do it after the roll is done. Bro, bro, is that some cheating I see? Don't do that. That's some cheating. It, it's not quite as powerful as you might think. You have to do it before the roll is made. After the roll is made... They've already done the thing, so your portent doesn't really make sense. At higher levels, divination wizards get spell slots back when they cast divination spells. Um, essentially, if you cast like a third level divination spell, you could get a second level spell slot back. You gain improved magical sight, allowing you to like have dark vision or true sight or other features like that. You, you just you can see stuff. You're a seer, and you gain an extra portent die. So now you've got three of them per day. Enchantment wizards, who are about entrancing and beguiling your foes. No, you're not enchanting weapons. That would be Skyrim again. Look over here. Don't look at what my other hand is doing. Yes, enchantment wizards get a hypnotic gaze ability that helps them charm people. They can cause foes to attack each other, target multiple foes with spells that mess with minds that normally would only target one person. And eventually, when they charm somebody, they get to mess with their memories so they can, you know, prevent them from recognizing that they got charmed in the first place. They're, uh, they're, they're the social wizards. And then you have evocation wizards. Fireball. They evoke the elements. Yes, they, this is the wizard that casts fireball all the time. Initially, you can adjust spells so that you don't hit your allies, averting the classic fireball wizard issue. 
at higher level, their cantrips get stronger when they do damage. All evocation spells do more damage. And eventually, evocation wizards can just force spells to do maximum damage. With a slight risk of psychic blowback frying their brains. Don't worry, it'll be fine. I got a really bad headache after that last fireball. Yeah, it, if you keep using it, it happen, It gets more and more likely to the point that you like can could kill yourself with the psychic blowback of maximizing a fireball. Fun times. Illusion wizards. Not tricks. Illusions. They get certain free illusion spells as cantrips. The ability to adjust illusion spells once cast to like change them in mid-thing. Uh, they can create an illusory duplicate of themselves to cause attacks to miss them. And eventually they can make things out of illusions. Like, make real things. Oh, you need to cross this bridge? Let me just summon an illusionary bridge that we can actually walk across. It, it becomes like you're in a cartoon. <laughs> they, they, they get crazy stuff. The School of Necromancy. What up? Where's my necromancers at? They're dead. Undead. That's appropriate. They get curses, undead, that sort of thing. Sometimes they're evil, sometimes they just like to talk to ghosts. Uh, they get hit points back when they kill stuff with necromancy spells. Raising the dead, through the spell Raise Dead, gets easier. You get more creatures and... They get better and faster to cast. You get resistance to necrotic damage. And eventually you can take over undead creatures made by other wizards or that just arose naturally, which is a cool feature. I like that necromancers get that one, actually. You rob one grave and the entire world just labels your career as evil. I mean, you were wearing black robes and chanting while you did it. So, yeah. Well, yeah, that's the uniform. Transmutation wizards change things into other things. Alchemical transmutation of objects is a feature that they can do where it just turns something into a different material for about an hour. Uh, they can create a transmuter's stone, which provides certain helpful effects to whoever has it. At higher levels, they get the polymorph spell for free, because that's how you turn someone into a newt. And can also use the transmuter's stone for crazy powerful effects once per day including Raise Dead, Full Healing, Major Transmutation, which is like permanently changing lead to gold or something like that, or Restoring a Youth to Creatures. Did I say it was the Transmuter's Stone? What they really meant was the Philosopher's Stone. Watch me crash this economy with all this lead. Yeah, all them gold, all this lead. You can't transmute huge, vast quantities of it easily, so... There's better ways. Would be a good, like, multi-class rogue and wizard, like a grifter, whose whole thing is turning lead into gold and then making off with money or something. I don't know. Yeah, a low-level transmutation wizard with the, uh, like, magical transmutation where they turn stuff into a new material for an hour would probably be the right one for that, where he does it, sells it, books it to the next town. Yep, I like it. That would be the Grifter Transmutation Wizard, yeah. 
And that's those are the traditional schools of magic that are your arcane traditions. But like I said, more books were coming out. And they had to do something for wizards or else, like, people who mostly play wizards wouldn't want to buy the books. Stop withholding content for the DLC. We know you're doing it. And so they came up with some new ones. The first being war magic. I actually really like the war wizard. Yeah, the war wizard is cool. It's wizards who focus on fighting. Not like hand-to-hand fighting, but wizards who focus on purely offensive-defensive uses of their spells. And who are expected to be in closer combat. Wizard fighting magic. Yeah. They can use magical power to deflect attacks. They gain power from counterspelling other wizards' spells. Their spells deal more damage. They get bonuses to concentration checks. And eventually their like deflect attacks with magical powers can like cause a backlash against the people who would have hit you. They've got some cool abilities. They're uh they're a lot tougher than the normal wizards when it comes to being in a fight. Do a war wizard drill sergeant. Just start shouting at everybody. That would be a pretty entertaining character, yeah. Uh, we also have the Blade Singer. Wizards who like to use swords and dance. Uh, Blade Singers were. They've been around for a while. They were originally an elves only thing, but it could be anyone. It doesn't even have to be a sword. It could be, I don't know, an axe. And a hammer, I guess. Butter knife. I guess if you're a halfling, it could be a butter knife. Yeah, I mean, it can be whatever you want. You basically, you you get proficiency in light armor and with more weapons along with performance. You can invoke a magic state called the Blade Song, which is, it's basically rage, but for wizards. <laughs> it, I mean, it's just like the Barbarian Rage, except it does stuff for wizards. It boosts your armor class. Movement speed. It gives advantage on dexterity checks. Not saves, just checks. And a bonus on concentration checks. At higher levels, Bladesingers get the extra attack feature. Can use spell slots to sort of absorb damage. And eventually do more damage with weapon attacks while blade singing. So they're the, like, walk around with swords and dance around and stab people wizards. They're fine. I, I don't have any strong feelings about blade singers. And the last one is the Order of Scribes. They bring spellbooks to life. Bunch of nerds. Wizards are the nerdiest class, and Order of Scribes is the nerdiest wizards. They can create tiny magical quills that help write stuff down for them. Their spellbooks become awakened, meaning that they're intelligent and self-aware and, like, talk to you. And give certain extra options for casting to... They become a spellcasting focus. You can change the damage types of spells, but not cantrips. And once per day, you can cast a ritual spell not as a ritual. Which is, you know, instead of taking 10 minutes to cast a spell for free, you cast it at normal speed for free. It's a cool little, cool little option. Uh, the book eventually manifests as a little magical hologram that basically is a familiar... You get your little AI supporting spellbook. If you cross that with a bard, put in a little bit of vicious mockery in that spellbook and get shit talked by a book. You get the ability to create scrolls as well as use your spellbook to sort of block damage in exchange for losing spells out of it. No, my pages. 
yeah, it's interesting. Uh, I will say that the Order of Scribes is the most complicated mechanically of all the arcane traditions, as is suitable for the one that really focuses on the mechanic of spellbooks, which is one of the more complicated mechanics of Dungeons & Dragons overall. It's all nerds. It's nerds all the way down. And that's it. Those are the arcane traditions available for wizards. My spellbook's just going to be a bunch of scraps of paper in a bag. That's perfectly suitable, although probably not for the Order of Scribes. They like having them neat and tidy. So, Ed, which arcane tradition do you think a Modron wizard would take? I don't know why I didn't think this one through more. I think I might actually be stumped on this one. See, I... I think a divination Modron wizard would be good. Yeah, that kind of fits. Not because of the, like, seeing the past, present, and future, but the portent to, like, force people's roles to be more average. <laughs> you will be average and you will like it. Yes, because that's uh, a very Modron feature. Being like, no, that shouldn't happen like that. It should happen correctly. Only other thing I could think of would be like a Modron necromancer that is absolutely enthralled by the biomechanics of living beings and wants to study them. Yeah, that could be done. I could also see an Order of Scribes Modron who is a librarian. Yeah, that works. And who's got their living spell book, which is like a complicated mechanical thing, as well as being a spell book. Just have like a little like flash drive in their side. Like a crazy mechanical flash drive. Yeah, that that that's something I could see. But let's talk a little, I guess, now that we've covered wizards and covered what we would do with wizards, let's talk about some of the things that surround wizards. The tropes and, I guess, memes about wizards and Dungeons and Dragons. I guess the first one is that wizards are squishy. This is accurate. That 1d4 of uh, hit dice there. Originally, yeah, they had 1d4 for their hit die, which was by far the lowest of any class. In 5th edition, it's up to 1d6, because honestly, getting downed by someone throwing a dart at you at first level is not not fun for anyone. Ow, my one hit point. Yeah, or stepping on a caltrop killing your character is uh, not a fun look. So uh, the d6 for hit die is a little stronger. But yeah, they are squishy. They don't get armor. They have a hard time. They don't get armor. They don't get a lot of hit points. Usually you don't put constitution as their main attribute because they need intelligence. And then dexterity is probably the next best choice. So constitution is going to be a little lower down on the list. Make the most unintelligent wizard that I can. Well, you don't want to do that. He's like a, a D student fail son from wizard school. Look, if I was going to do that, I would say he went to wizard school, but is actually a warlock or sorcerer or something. <laughs> and make him charisma instead of intelligence. He's a, he's a warlock, but his patron is his rich dad, who's just giving him magic power. Just doesn't know it. Yeah, that could be entertaining, if he's, especially if he uses items all the time. That if he casts a spell through the various fancy magic items his dad keeps buying for him. Could be an entertaining warlock. So, war wizards are squishy. 
The next bit is that, you know, wizards cast fireball and kill all their allies. This is, uh, also accurate. I tend to have that problem more with, uh, Lightning Bolt, at least in 2nd edition. Yeah, uh, wizards have a lot of area of effect spells, and oftentimes when a fight is going on, and there are many people involved in that fight, the area of effect is going to cover some of the people who are on your side. And, you know, Fireball is the most common spell for this, so yeah, a lot of people get roasted by their own wizards. It's gonna get a little toasty. As someone who has played plenty of wizards, I have to say, it's entirely the fault of the people who got roasted. You were in the way of my spell. Incoming spells have right-of-way. Yes, Fireball has right-of-way. Yeah, so that's entirely true. Get, get out of the way of the wizard's spells. Or just get something that makes you resistant to fire damage. I don't know. It's up to you. An entire party of tieflings as a bodyguard for a wizard, just specifically so that they don't get torched by the fireball. Yeah, that'd be pretty entertaining. I, I, I might do that as a as a thing where a wizard who just casts fireball into the fight that his people are in. Ooh, if they're tiefling barbarians, they only take a quarter damage. <laughs> Actually, that wouldn't stack. Never mind. Ignore that. Ignore me. Uh, the other thing, and the one that is I hear people complain about the most, is that, well, casters are overpowered. They're supposed to be. That's why they spend their entire life studying, so they can wreck shit at a high level. Yeah, and I'll say that, yeah, they are. At high level, the ability to cast certain spells is stronger than the abilities that non-casters have. And that's because of the nature of how spells work. And the fact that the wizard's not always going to have that spell available, and that the wizard can only cast that spell maybe once per day, whereas a fighter can just keep stabbing things all day long. And that the balancing act is always going to be tough because people play the game differently and different tables have different sort of ways of balancing it out. I'm out of spells, bro. I just get to take a little nap over the side here. Just a little nap. I think the real solution is just don't play. If you're super worried about casters being overpowered, don't play high-level games. I can count the number of times that I've played a game that gets above 12th level on one hand. I don't even know how high of level we've ever gone in games. I feel like maybe five or six would be like the max. Yeah, low-level games are much more common, and casters aren't broken at low level. But also, our games never tended to last that long, so that could also be part of it. Yes, that is. that That's definitely part of it for us. But I have played with other people, and, you know, casters don't get broken until they start getting the real high-level spells. So just don't play at the levels that they get the real high-level spells. Mm, problem solved, I think. We want to play with the fancy toys. Yes, I know everyone wants to play with the fancy toys, but as someone who is mostly a dungeon master rather than a player, the fancy toys can be very difficult to work around. It's hard to tell a story about, you know, stuff going on when the wizard's just like, cool, I cast Wish and erase the entire kingdom. Can't fireball Tarask. 
I mean, you can, it's just not going to do much. Exactly. Yeah, you have to come up with increasingly specific and somewhat ridiculous things to deal with wizards who can cast fly and levitate and teleport spells at will. That's when you just... That's when you sneak just a little bit of Tomb of Horrors in there. Well, the thing is, there's a lot of stuff in Tomb of Horrors that can be negated by wizards casting certain spells. Boo. Like, if you cast the fly spell on a group of people, you can fly over all the pit traps that are everywhere in Tomb of Horrors. Tomb of Horrors 2. Two tomb, two horror. Tomb of Horrors 2. It's just one giant pit trap, and it's in an anti-magic field. (laughs) Deal with it, wizards. So yeah, those are the things about wizards that people are going to bring up when they talk about them. I guess maybe also something about pondering an orb. Should be a whole class, orb ponderer. I mean, isn't that just a divination wizard? Pretty much. You gotta ponder that orb. And yeah, so that's wizards. They are a important class. They're one of the oldest classes, and I think they're a good class. I don't know. The only change I would make if I was Wizards of the Coast and was in charge of 6th edition for Wizards, that's just saying Wizards over and over again, is that I would rename spells. They, they would no longer be levels. They would be circles of magic or something. I mean, I know that in doing that, I'd have to rename Druid subclasses, but that's less of an issue. Instead, they're just going to rename the Wizard class to something else. I feel like that's all you get. It's now wa- Magic User again. Great. Thanks. Thanks, guys. We've we've gone backwards. So, yeah, that's Wizards. Woo! It's Wizards. What do you want? That's about about all there is to it. It's not the end of the podcast, though, because we have a segment on the podcast called Board Game Corner. Board Games! Today, we're talking about Red Dragon Inn, published in 2007 by Slugfest Games. Red Dragon Inn is... it's a party game? I would say it's slightly more rules-heavy than things like Codenames or Mysterium, but it's definitely not a game where you have to get out a big board and like set up tokens and stuff. Uh, each player has a little board and a character, and you have a tracker that shows your health, your vitality, and your alcohol content. The concept of the game is that you're all adventurers in a fantasy kingdom and you've completed your adventure and gone back to the tavern and are having a rousing evening drinking and gambling and carousing having spending all the money you got on the adventure party and it's uh last man standing wins uh players have a deck of cards and a little like stack of tokens for gold You lose if you run out of gold and thus can no longer pay your bar tab, or your health and alcohol content trackers, like, cross each other. Because at that point, you fall unconscious due to a combination of alcohol poisoning and blood loss. Each character is basically composed of a deck of cards and maybe certain tokens that reflect on this. There's a lot of characters and a lot of expansions for this game, so it can get complicated. But... Characters have a set of cards, you draw your hand, and there's a deck of drink cards in the center that are things that you may end up drinking as you play the game. The turn goes, you draw up to your full hand, you 
play an action card, which does something, like buys drinks for somebody, or you hit somebody to do a little damage to them, or you... It just does an effect. Then you buy a drink for another player, where you take a face-down drink card and set it on another player's little mat, and then you drink the first, the top card of your own drink pile, which will cause you to lose either health or uh, increase your alcohol content or have some other effect. There's a bunch of different things that can come out of the drink cards. Then play passes to the next person. And this just goes around the table until something, until people get start getting knocked out. Uh, one of the actions you can do is start a round of gambling, which causes everyone to have to put in money, ante in, and then play certain gambling cards in order to try and win the pot of money. You can also increase through this. And of course, because you can lose by running out of money, this is important to at least not spend all your money in a gambling pile. You don't have to win every round, but if you lose every round, you're in trouble. So here's the thing for me. How does the game handle player elimination? Generally speaking, when you run out of the things, you're just out of the game. Boo, that's my least favorite way to handle end, end states. Yeah, the player elimination end state is not great. And it does devolve into a screw the leader sort of thing after a certain point because it becomes fairly obvious who has uh, like the most health remaining, who has the most gold, and then players will team up and target that person to like reduce the chances that they're going to get knocked out first. I'm I'm more fine with screw the leader player with having player elimination like playing with our group. We've played games where players will drop out and then it's just two people playing and then everybody else is kind of milling around. The system is pretty balanced in that typically players don't get eliminated immediately. You end up with a situation where you've got a bunch of people on their last legs all at the same time and then they'll just drop out like one, two, three, four. That's better, I guess. Yeah, I mean, it could end up going the other way where someone gets taken off, taken out right off the bat. But I think doing that opens the whoever was responsible up to way too much retaliation. So in my experience, at least, it hasn't been a huge issue for player elimination. But it, there is no way to come back in because it's a last man standing game. I don't know. It feels like they, maybe they could have added something in there, but I don't know. I guess if everybody's kind of like all starting to crap out at the same time, it's less of an issue. I don't know how you would do it because you kind of need that end state. And there isn't really an NPC functionality to the game that non-player, that knocked out players would be able to handle. It's a, it's a discussion for a, like an in-depth talk about board games and board game mechanics, which we will do at some point on this podcast. But Red Dragon in. Because eventually we're going to run out of classes. Oh, we, have, we only have one more class. My favorite. Join us in two weeks as we discuss the Artificer. Yay, probably the closest thing to my actual career. Maybe like Artificer crossed with a little bit of Rogue. Yeah, I guess. Since you're, you know, up on high things, the rogue makes sense. Up on high things, playing with locks.
You should take some levels of Monk. That way you get the uh, fall resist, fall damage removal. Well, I did go for like a two-mile run before this podcast, so maybe put a little bit of Marshall in there. Yeah, get some... Yeah, you, it increases your movement speed, and you can, like, slow fall yourself. That way you'll shake hands with danger less. Just straight up ripping off our favorite podcasts. And that's our show for the week. As always, thank you for listening. Joining Union. Don't invade Ukraine. Uh, support your local game stores. You can also, of course, follow us on social media at Twitter at Null Country and on Instagram as Null Country. Ed, got anything you want to say? You can follow me on Instagram at Adam Madness. Uh, occasionally posting things there. Uh, support your Ukrainian and LGBTQ plus relief charities. Uh, join a union unless the, it's the Soviet Union. It's about all I got. My joke tank is empty. Don't go to Florida. Don't go to Florida. Screw Alabama in particular. If, the, if there's any Alabama-based LGBTQ charities, they're going to need your money. Go Knowles. Go Knowles.